0: LinkedIn presents. We communicated with our employees so frequently our CEO was getting feedback that we were communicating too much. And this was largely through his entire leadership team having asked me anything uh, virtual town halls. And our head of health and medical and our head of safety um, continuing to provide updates on the pandemic. But what happened is it kind of it was the same format. It was on video, was um, using a chat function for people to ask questions. And people got a little bit fatigued with that, that, that. But because they got fatigued with that didn't mean we should stop engaging with them. And so my communications advisor and I were talking about, well, what can we do? That's different. And then we came up with this idea of having an internal television show that has a studio audience of employees and it has guests who are employees.
1: That was Chevron CHRO, Rhonda Morris. In this episode, Rhonda and I discuss her 30-year career at Chevron, what it's like to lead a global distributed workforce how she thinks about communicating to employees in clever ways, hint, there may be a CNBC design studio involved, and the importance of writing letters. And we'll be right back with that conversation right now. Amplify connects, develops, and empowers the next generation of transformative people leaders through HR Executive Search and the Amplify Academy Learning and Leadership Development Platform. Our executive search practice brings a modern approach to executive search by transparent pricing, unique access to emerging and established leaders, and onboarding advisory. Our Amplify Academy is changing how HR practitioners and leaders develop their careers through peer communities, the AI learning lab, and leadership development cohorts. Together, these platforms support our mission of building a better world of work by elevating the field of HR. You can learn more at AmplifyTalent.com. Now, onto the show. Hey everyone, welcome to the Redefining Work podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt. And today I'm sitting down with the VP and CHRO of a company that you may have heard of. It's a small little company called Chevron. And uh, Rhonda Morris has been leading their HR team after spending the majority of her career building the HR function within Chevron. And so I'm really excited to learn a little bit more about the inner workings of HR in a enterprise global longstanding business like Chevron. So Rhonda, thanks so much for coming on. I'd love to have you open with an introduction for the guests.
0: Well, Lars, thanks for having me. Um, it's a pleasure to be able to spend some time chatting with you. And I believe your question is to say a little bit about myself. Well, I'll start with uh, our company's headquartered in Northern California. I am a native Northern Californian. Um, the house I grew up in is about 25 miles from where I'm sitting today in San Ramon. Uh, I have been with Chevron for 30 years. And that's one of the least favorite questions I get asked because it makes me <laughs> feel, <laughs> it makes me feel kind of old. But um, I've had an amazing time here. I met my husband at the company. I have a 19-year-old daughter. and um, I think the Bay Area is one of the most beautiful places in the world. And even though I've moved probably seven or eight times in the course of my life for work and other reasons, I always have this sort of magnetic pull back to Oakland, California, where I live.
1: Yeah. Well, look, I think Chevron as a business probably needs a little introduction uh, <laughs> for the audience. Right. Uh, you you you've used Chevron and pardon me, I'm I'm a little bit cold right now. So forgive the cost, um, you know. Sure. You've been a consumer of Chevron. You've seen the 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 company. You're just it's 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 an iconic brand. But I imagine most people don't know the inner workings, obviously, of of the business and the HR team. So I'd love for you to give an overview of you know. Sure. Can you describe the footprint of the business in terms of you know locations, employees, uh, and then an the overview of your HR team to support them?
0: Sure, ha- happy to do that. Our company is 143 years old. So yes, we've been around for quite some time. We operate in 55 countries. We have about 40,000 employees and our business streams, um, I'll try to make it simple. We have upstream, midstream, and downstream. Most people, when they think about Chevron, think about what's called our downstream business. That's our manufacturing, our retail service stations, our marketing, et cetera. But the biggest part of our business is actually our exploration and production business all around the world. And that's what's called upstream. And we're what's referred to as an integrated oil company. There are some oil companies that are just upstream, some that are just midstream. And what our midstream business does is we explore um, for oil, we ship it to our refinery. So our midstream business is our shipping company, our pipeline company. So we're transporting it from uh, where we found it to one of our um, refinery facilities or our production facility. We have about roughly a thousand HR people supporting those three businesses. Those three businesses were consolidated last year into one organization called Oil Products and Gas. But there are embedded um, HR people who support those three businesses, but we also have a, a several centers of expertise that support the enterprise. That would be comp and ben, compensation and benefits known you know by some as total remuneration, our learning and talent group, and even our, our HR shared service centers in Buenos Aires and Manila support the enterprise. So we've got um, a model where we have business HR people who are dedicated to supporting the business. And then we have centers of expertise who focus on work that supports the entire enterprise. And that's allowed us to standardize a number of processes over the last couple of years. Does
1: that make mm-hmm. sense? It does make sense. And it's uh, it's not lacking complexity from the, uh, the sound <laughs> of it. So I imagine uh, it is uh it, it is a it is a full job that is uh definitely holding your attention um you know w- when you kind of coming up from within chevron uh, were there particular uh functional areas within the hr team that you came up through like what was your just, just walk us through kind of your background and path uh you know to the the chro role
0: so i have a in some respects a pretty non-traditional path as a chevron employee period and even as a chevron hr professional because i was not recruited off of campus uh, i i went on a letter writing literally letter writing campaign to get hired when i graduated from business school at boston university because chevron didn't recruit there and when i graduated from business school i wanted to i wanted to really I wanted to work for Chevron. I've known about the company for um, a long time. My grandfather actually worked for Exxon, um, and he cleaned tanks in the late '40s and '50s. And my father thought getting a job at Chevron was one of the best things that that you could do. So I was very fortunate. My marketing campaign worked. I was um, hired into the HR development program back in 1991, and I worked for the company. and In our development program, you rotate assignments every six months for two years. And so the intent is to expose people on the program to different parts of of the business. And I spent three of my four assignments in the same business, our downstream business. And when I finished the program, um, I was very open that I would work pretty much anywhere, but I wanted some experiences outside of our downstream business. And I love our downstream business. I spent most of my career there And I ended up in a labor relations role in our downstream business at one of our refineries. And Five years into my career, I made a decision to leave the company. So I'm a boomeranger um, and I left the energy industry and spent three years working for Haagen-Dazs ice cream. So I made a pretty sharp industry pivot and I learned a lot from um, leaving a company like Chevron, going to work for what was then uh, the Pillsbury company. And I never thought I would come back to Chevron, but I ended up coming back. And the reason I left Pillsbury is... I was traveling 80% of the time. It wasn't, I didn't, I had one of the best bosses I ever had, but I really didn't have um, a personal life because I was on the road uh, for for such a long time. I then, um, when I made the decision and I learned from working at Pillsbury, something I try to use in my role today, and that's the importance of how you treat people when they leave a company. And Pillsbury was incredibly gracious with people who were leaving. You could have open conversations about, The simple fact that um, either a location wasn't working for you or your partner, uh, the traveling, the excessive traveling was really wearing on you. And they would work with uh, they would work with individuals to see if there was a way and and an opportunity for the person to stay. And if you didn't, they were very gracious about your departure, recognizing this was one of my key learnings. Everybody's a consumer. Yeah. everybody is a consumer. And I have never said one bad thing about my experiences working at Pillsbury. I had a couple of job offers um, when I was making that decision. And I never lost contact with people in in Chevron. And one of them said, you know, you should come back. And I said, well, people don't really do that. And I, that's a little odd. And when I left, I wasn't really part of the plan. But to be a long story short, I I did come back. um, And I spent a number of years in HR manager. Well, I came back to a corporate HR assignment, which was kind of what I was looking for when when I left. But I was only in that role for nine months before I went back to an HR manager role in our marketing business, which was part of downstream. And I This came to the conclusion. This is where I'm supposed to be, and I should just come to peace with it. So lo and behold, um, I ended up from the marketing job, and I've always thought about. um, I, I like working here because I feel like I can fill gray space. I'm one of those people who likes to fill gray space, and I've always worked on any leadership team I've been on, anything that would help support the objectives of the organization, whether it was HR related or not. And that's kind of what led to my leaving the HR function for seven years and working in Europe as uh, first the marketing director for our, our European downstream business, then as the general manager of our fuels business, and then as the vice president of our European fuels business before we sold the business to Valero in, uh, oh gosh, probably about 11 years or so again. And then I ended up coming back to HR to be the HR VP for our downstream business, and that's the job I had before I got this one. But that is a really long answer to your to your question. So um, I spent a little bit of my career in the corporation. I spent the majority of it in our downstream business, but because of this complex relationship that you referenced between our centers of expertise and our business, um, I actually understood how it worked. And spending that much time in a P&O role and a marketing role has really helped me, I think, do this job differently. And I hope it's helped me do it better.
1: Yeah. And let's talk about that for a minute, because I think when you look at the, the, the changing nature of the CPO role, um, particularly as they're navigating just the, this complexity of today's world, today's market, today's talent pool, I mean, so many layers, you can look at it, but this is, you know, the, the, the role has never been more complex Uh, The role has never been more challenging. And I think that you find the influx of people, you know, moving into or out of and then into this seat from other areas of the business is a real differentiator. So I'd love for you to expand on that a little bit, because there may be people watching who, you know, feel that they need to follow a linear career path, the CHRO seat. But that's actually not necessarily, I mean, yes, you could still do that. But there are other ways that actually may be more, Advantageous to move into the business and back into the role. And so, if you could maybe just you know expand on that a little bit from your perspective,
0: Well, I'm a huge advocate of moving outside of the HR function because I think there were there was nothing better for me than to be a customer of I wasn't a customer of HR when mm-hmm. I the seven years I, I was gone. So what it had what it built for me is a kind of laser sharp, focus on perspective and the perspective isn't on what you want to share with someone it's on what how it will be received by them and even from the standpoint of how you communicate, how you engage and I really try to emphasize and kind of push my direct report to engage with business leaders, not at the end, but as you are developing something, just ask opinions. It matters. It builds advocacy. It helps you execute faster. Um, I also was the recipient of HR cost allocations. So um, it's helped me focus on how we are actually managing the operating expense of our function because we're not a profit center, we're a cost center. And so when you think about that,
1: like, obviously what you're, you're navigating and designing and kind of architecting the people strategy across, as you mentioned, uh, I think over 50 countries, 40,000 employees, multiple lines of business, multiple centers of excellence. Right. How do you think about like how you design and prioritize and adapt your kind of HR people talent strategy across such a complex environment?
0: We spend, and we, We refreshed our people strategy in 2022, and we spent probably about a year and a half looking at um, internal and external trends that are going to impact our company and that are going to impact our industry. And half of our employees are in the United States, but half of them are in 54 countries outside of the United States. We expect um, leaders as they progress through the organization to go to larger roles. We have an expectation that they spend at least one assignment outside of their home country, and that's to build perspective and engagement of how we can actually execute across the 55 countries. And sometimes we have to pace things so they will go live. And like when we did our workday deployment, we did a four-year workday deployment in two years. One of the things we decided to do was um, not start in the U.S. It would be easy it's half the workforce. We actually started in a large, we did five countries in Asia. That decision was not made by me. It was made, um, the recommendation came from, I will never forget this. I was having lunch in our cafeteria with our head of Upstream and I was talking through with him uh, the deployment process and how we should do this. And he said, well, you know, you have to, why don't we start with, a complex country that has multiple currencies. So we started, even though it was small, it was incredibly complex. So, um, and it, it actually helped us learn as we continued deploying Workday around the rest of um, our enterprise. So there's the, there's engagement with the business, Um, And that's an example of something that I found really helpful and actually helped us accelerate that particular deployment faster. To get back to your question about the people strategy and trends. So the three areas that were informed by the trends were um, one is rapidly changing technology. And I think everybody is very familiar with that. The second one is the focus on flexibility that employees are asking for. And it's not just hybrid working. It's it's flexibility with, with it could be, you know, compensation and benefits and how they, how they're paid or a cafeteria menu of options. And then the third one is the changing expectations of employees towards employers. And so that led us to four focus areas of our people strategy. One is our... our our employment model. We still have a long-term employment model. I've been here 30 years. Um, I am not alone with uh, having that much service. One of my best friends in the company recently retired with 40 years of service. And so we've had this model. It's worked for us. Um, The great resignation didn't actually happen at Chevron. Our um, attrition percentage for 2022 was four and a half percent. And we, we actually disaggregate that. And if you want me to talk about that a little in more detail a little later, I'm happy to do it. But one is, is our employment model and continuing to re- refresh how we're doing what we're doing with, from a pay and benefits standpoint. The second one is skill building and continuing to provide resources to upskill our employees so they can help us deliver our enterprise strategy. The third one focus area is leadership. We want to build great, diverse leaders. And then the fourth focus area is culture.
1: HR leaders today are under immense pressure to deliver results for the business, navigate new social and business climates, and build adaptable people programs built for these dynamic times. We're often asked to do more with less. The new world of work requires new ways to learn and develop our capabilities as HR and people practitioners. The Amplify Academy was built from the ground up to help people leaders efficiently and effectively connect with diverse learning needs for today and tomorrow. The Amplify Academy provides you with highly curated resources, exclusive content, courses, and a community designed to help people leaders effectively support your organization and each other. There are two components to the Amplify Academy, the Amplify Academy Learning Lab and Community and the Amplify Academy Leadership Development Cohorts. The Learning Lab and Community includes an AI learning platform that includes a range of courses, resources, templates, presentations, reports, and more to support the learning needs of today's HR and people practitioners. The Learning Lab subscriptions also include access to the Amplify Academy Slack community, a purpose-designed community to help you build your network equity and connect, collaborate, and grow your network with peers around the world. The Amplify Academy cohorts are four week immersive peer learning programs designed to help you build the leadership skills and network you need to lead successful teams in the new world of work. Cohort students learn from world-class guest instructors with past instructors, including Katie Burke, Katarina Berg, Lynn Oldham, Pat Waters, Claude Silver, Nellie Peshkoff, and so many more. Want to supercharge your people team? be sure to check out the Academy for Teams product. It's designed to give your people teams access to all 450 plus resources in the learning lab and build their network equity in the Slack community, as well as their leadership ability in the Amplify Academy cohorts. You can learn more about all of this at amplifytalent.com academy. Now back to the show. I'd love to like uh, expand on the skills piece for a moment because I think you know the um, you know that's obviously one of the big kind of uh, meta trends I think in the world of work right now and certainly the HR people function is how do we how do we begin shifting from role based to skill based and that applies to recruiting it applies to talent development talent mobility uh, retention obviously Um, do you have any programs that that you've launched to help you you know kind of map and identify skills within your employees and then figure out What skills may be transferable to other roles where it may open opportunities for internal talent that based on a resume, somebody may not necessarily make that connection?
0: Well, I'll start by saying we, I believe, and I learned this from someone I worked for years ago, smart people can do a lot of things. And we're a company where even before this focus on skills was happening, similar to myself, working in hr leaving hr coming back to hr we move people around different we've moved people around different functions for quite some time so this focus on skills is helping to augment that one of the one of the technology shifts we made we had i believe about 88 different learning and development platforms before we deployed workday yeah we now have one platform, <laughs> and it's like a curated Netflix type experience. It's called iLearn, and iLearn it's a Chevron term for the platform that we're using. And we launched this during the pandemic, but we didn't do it with a kind of big bang. Here's kind of a shiny new new toy. We used the people who were managing these other disparate platforms to put their content, to continue building um, the the to continue building the content that was in this platform and employees are using it. The growth has been really organic. And I look at the statistics of usage pretty frequently, and it is absolutely shocking in a good way of what people are actually doing on their own without a program, without um, required training. And we can look at the top five areas of skills that people are self kind of. What's the right way to describe this? They're learning on their own. They're taking the initiative to do that, and it's yeah. sort of agile tech methodology, uh, business acumen. There are different types of languages, and what what I find fascinating. Some of these things I don't even know what they are, and I thought, how do we keep, <laughs> <laughs> how do, how do we keep how do we keep up with this? But I've been really pleased with the thirst for learning and self-development that our workforce has. And I feel really good that we've created an avenue for them to do that, whether it's taking an online class, whether it's watching a video, whether it's reading a book, it's just, um, it's been pretty successful.
1: You know, I, I'd love to get a sense. You kind of mentioned, uh, you know, kind of soft launching that in the early days of the pandemic. Um, one of the other things you launched in the pandemic, <laughs> excuse me, is uh, a, a TV platform with the studio and so much more. like, I want to learn about this because I think, you know, internal comms, uh, you know, however you frame that, but I think importantly, obviously there's been so many events that, that the world has been through, right? Not just HR or business, but the world has been through since the pandemic, including the pandemic and our ability to communicate, especially as we move to remote and hybrid constructs has never been more important. And you had a very unique approach To that, so tell tell me more about that.
0: So your question is about um, our internal or my internal TV show called Business Casual. Is that correct? You got it. Yes. (laughs) Okay. It was launched towards the uh, end of the pandemic when we could bring people back together in offices. So I'll, I'll tell you the kind of the journey we got to. Um, Finding a different way to engage with our workforce during the pandemic, and I am incredibly proud of this, we communicated with our employees so frequently our CEO was getting feedback that we were communicating too much. And this was largely through his entire leadership team having asked me anything uh, virtual town halls. And our head of health and medical and our head of safety um, continuing to provide updates on the pandemic. But what happened is it kind of it was the same format. It was on video was um, using a chat function for people to ask questions. And people got a little bit fatigued with that, that, that. But because they got fatigued with that didn't mean we should stop engaging with them. And so, my communications advisor and I were talking about, well, what can we do that's different? And then we came up with this idea of having an internal television show that has a studio audience of employees and it has guests who are employees. And it's not live, it's taped, but topics we've covered. The very first one we did, Lars, was about mental health and well being. Yeah. And we had employees tell their own stories of challenges that they've had, but they also talked about how they manage them. and so it wasn't just um, these are the things that I'm struggling with it was these are the things I'm struggling with and this is these are some actions I've taken to try to uh, work on either myself or work to to get better and what I learned from that was the power of employees hearing from each other, not just from leaders
1: yeah. And that's amazing. So this was like, you know, a full on studio.
0: It is is a full Uh, on studio. (laughs) Is is
1: this still happening?
0: Uh, Yes, it's still happening. Uh, We actually had some help from CNBC, our set design. we would never done this before. It was actually backwards. And so I have a good friend at CNBC named Jen Geller. And she kind of said, you guys need to turn. It was a she we showed her kind of the, the structured layout. And she said, it's backwards and your backs to the audience. You just need to move some things around. So we got a little bit of help. From from CNBC, I've that's a had, pretty good help. Yeah, that's, that's that's
1: not that's not bad guidance to get yes, from uh, know. you know they, they may have a bit of experience there.
0: Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, but I've had some requests to film um, a segment outside of the U S. So it's going to be filmed in Singapore in July. And that gets back to, um, kind of a question you asked about managing a global organization. We don't do everything. We don't want to do everything out of the United States. It's kind of a heavy lift in a big production to move it there, but half our workforce is outside the United States. So it's important for us to do that.
1: And and I want to talk about another, um, you know, uh, Habit ritual uh, thing that you have that I think is a very unique way to engage employees, and that is a letter writing campaign. And yeah. when you first told me about this, I, I thought it was just so unique and so interesting, and just not something that you you often see executives open up to their employees. So tell tell me more about how that came to be, and uh, just just give me more kind of context and details on the sure. on the program.
0: So. Throughout the pandemic, uh, we have an internal social media um, platform called Workplace. It's basically Facebook at work. And during the pandemic on Sundays, and I still do it a little bit periodically, I would just write. I send out a ton of communications to employees, but a lot of it is about a kind of the normal things you would you would expect the head of HR to communicate to the workforce. But um, as the pandemic was starting back in uh, March of 2020, I just decided to start writing about what was happening with me. Um, I had a daughter in high school who was remote learning. I had my mother 10 miles away who was sheltered in place in her house, and I wouldn't let her go outside even before California put the shelter in place mandates in. And so I was, I started to write about things I was dealing with that I knew everybody else was dealing with, and I didn't do it every Sunday. But so that set up a way for me to engage and connect with the workforce about kind of the weirdness we were all collectively going through. And I would, you know, my mother was coping with uh, COVID by, other COVID restrictions by gardening. And so and then I, you know, write something and I post pictures of her roses. And what's happened, Lars, is my mother has this fan club in the company. And if I travel, people ask me, how's your mom doing? How come you stop posting pictures of roses? So that let me kind of open up more to the workforce. I in January of this year, I wrote a post and I explained why I stopped doing that. I said, you know, I stopped because people were saying, well, how come you stop writing on Sundays? Said, well, because it reminds me of the pandemic. And I don't want to take us back to that kind of dark time. And I said, I will continue writing, but I will um, I will do more, but not as frequently as I would. But I said, I will tell you this year. Um I have an idea. My husband told me it was a really bad idea, but well, I think I'm right and he's wrong. And I said, if you write to me this year, handwrite a letter to me, I will write you back. And I want to know three things. One, how you're doing. Two, what are you excited about? And three, what are you doing to recharge? And it, uh, this whole process brings me a ton of joy because people have forgotten what it's like to see someone's handwriting. Um, every single person who's written to me has answered all of my questions. Some of them have written about the fact that they haven't written a letter in so long they for- it, that it was frustrating that you can't correct what you've written. <laughs>
1: Where's <laughs> the delete my- button?
0: There's no delete uh, button. Um, one employee wrote to me in pencil so that she could erase. <laughs> <laughs> and they I feel like I'm getting much richer feedback than I would get from an employee survey. And we do employee surveys, too. But I I, it's 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 been um, very rewarding. Yeah.
1: You know, one more question I'd love to get your perspective on, and then I want to kind of jump into the lightning round to help the audience get to know you a little bit more. Um, you know, obviously, you you are in a role as the CHRO of Chevron where, you know, it's a very complex environment. It's a complex organization. You've kind of walked us through your career path on how you got to that role. What advice do you have for aspiring CHROs, CPOs, heads of people, whatever the title might be, but somebody who is kind of in that upward trajectory in their own career, and they seek a role similar to yours. What's something that you, you've learned, um, you know, could be the hard way, could be the easy way that uh, you'd want to pass on that wisdom down to
0: them? So I would say two things. So number one, and I mentioned this, I think, earlier, perspective really matters. And not your perspective, but thinking about things from the perspective of your customer, And customer being the people that the HR function really supports. Actually, I'm going to say three things. Number two would be communication. Um, I think there is there should be much more emphasis on effective communication and effective simple communication because the more complicated, I, I think my job is to take away roadblocks that prevent people from doing their job well.
1: Yeah,
0: and that that's kind of I. That's what, that's kind of what, what we really need to, that's an area we really need to focus on. And the third one is I will pass on um, some advice. The person who had my job when I joined the company shared with a group of us when we had lunch with him, his name was Lou Fernandez. He said, it doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how great your idea is. If you cannot successfully, um, Engage, communicate, and bring along the people who need to execute your idea or your project. You will never be successful, and I never forgot that.
1: Yeah, that's really good advice.
0: It was great I, I mean, <laughs> it's no,
1: it's true. It's it's so true. And again, I think that you know the ability again it kind of gets back to the complexity of the role standpoint, right? It's like HR acumen isn't enough. Like HR acumen plus business acumen isn't enough. Like you also right. have to have that communication piece and that ability to influence and earn trust and, and, and communicate visually written uh, multimedia these days. I mean, it's just, there's so much to it. So, uh, you know, Ron, I really enjoyed learning more about your, your role, your career, what you're building at Chevron. And we close every episode with the lightning round to help the audience get to know you a bit better on a personal level. And we always start with music. So what was your first concert?
0: jackson five at the oh. star theater in san mateo california wow uh, you know that may be <laughs> there's been some great ones i don't know if
1: you can top that 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 may you you may have moved to the pole position but the jackson five <laughs> that's impressive um okay next we've got uh streaming on tv so what was the latest show that you uh you know binge watched or streamed and recommend?
0: So I'm drawing a blank on the name of it, but you can help me figure out what it is. I actually stopped watching it because it was giving me a headache. It's on Apple TV and it's it's about the group of people who um, are working in a place where you're in the office and you only remember things in the office and then when you leave the office, you only remember things in your, Personal life. Do you know what I'm talking? About? I,
1: I know what you're talking about. I don't remember what it's called, but I've seen the previews yes. for it. It did look interesting. But now, now you've given me a bit of a, you know, disclaimer. <laughs> I have a pause now. Maybe, maybe I'll hold off on that one.
0: Okay. No, it's not. It's really good, but it you it's it it messes with your mind a bit. It's like, wow, this is this is pretty incredible.
1: Yeah. Uh, and Ronald, last question for you. What is bringing you joy lately?
0: So I mentioned the letter writing is um, is bringing me joy. I do a I also do a series with Adam Bryant on LinkedIn, the leading in the B Suite series where we interview um, Black executives about life, their life stories, uh, their leadership lessons, and we have constructive conversations about race. And it's we've been doing this since twenty twenty after um, George Floyd was murdered and. It really generated i met Adam a couple of years ago when he interviewed me for a different series that he does. But being able to help people see role models um, of black leaders, learn from them what their life experiences have been like, and also um, kind of keep pushing on. We have to have some conversations that for a lot of people are awkward and difficult. And we're just trying to continue to show we can actually do this.
1: Well, I appreciate you sharing. I appreciate that work to begin with, but I also appreciate you. you sharing that with us. I'll include a link to that show uh, in the show notes of this episode. So if you're watching this, definitely encourage you to check that out as well. So uh, Rhonda, it's been a real pleasure. I appreciate you making time to share your, your work, share, take us inside your studio. I mean, that's that's pretty cool. <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, thanks so much for making time to uh, help us understand a bit more about your work and uh, how Chevron is set up.
0: Thank you. I appreciate it, Lars.
1: Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Redefining Work. For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, and more, be sure to check out amplifytalent.com slash podcast. And if you dig this podcast, I strongly encourage you to share it with your CEO, leadership team, and friends to help others discover it. And if you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on Spotify or Apple or wherever your preferred podcast delivery vehicle is. We'll see you next episode.